Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's chapter is Genesis chapter 18. And Yahweh appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah, and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, and took a calf tender and good, and gave it to a young man, who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk in the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. Yahweh said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Yahweh said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for Yahweh? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Yahweh said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of Yahweh by doing righteousness and justice, so that Yahweh may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then Yahweh said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And so the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before Yahweh. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed Sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And Yahweh said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. 
Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And Yahweh went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. Our text from today differs in time very little from yesterday. Chapter 17, at the end of the chapter, we had seen God make the promise to Abraham that he was going to have a son, Isaac, by his wife, Sarah, at about this time next year. We're going to see a similar phrase in today's chapter, although it's not the same phrase as much as the ESV text makes it look the same. We'll talk about that in a moment. But in the meanwhile, Yahweh appears to Abraham where Abraham has set up his tent, where he lives with his household. And Abraham's there resting in the heat of the day, so referring probably to the the hottest of the peak point. Uh, Maybe Abraham has had some lunch or something like that, a quick afternoon nap before resuming work. Who knows? But regardless, he sees three men approaching him. This could be a, a quick family conversation. Who are they? The answer is actually made known to us in the text itself. One of the three is God himself. So now we could certainly talk about this being God the Father, or we could talk about it being the Holy Trinity. We could talk about it being Jesus Christ pre-incarnate, that even though he is not yet man, he has appeared as man. One of the three is God, somehow. The other two are angels. That will be very specifically revealed in chapter 19 tomorrow. The question that lingers in these opening verses, really all the way through verse 10, where Yahweh makes the promise about the son being born this time next year to Sarah, his wife. The question is, does Abraham know who his guests are? And we don't have the answer to that. There's not enough in the text to reveal to us whether Abraham actually recognizes his visitors, and is hospitable to them because of who they are, or if he does not recognize his visitors and is hospitable to them because hospitality is good to do, and it's part of who he is. Now, Abraham's going to display the hospitality one way or the other, and this could even become what gives you that seemingly random verse in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Is this an ongoing reality, or was the unknown preacher to the Hebrews in a section coming right after the cloud of great witnesses from chapter 11 and 12, where he actually mentions the faith of Abraham and Sarah, Is he referring back to Abraham here at Mamre, not knowing who these guests are, and that he did indeed entertain two angels in addition to the Lord himself? 
we just don't know, but it's, it's an interesting connection. So what does he do? He bows down before them, a sign of humility. He calls them Lord. Again, this, it's capitalized in the SV, right? Indicating this is God. And we know it to be God, yes. We would capitalize it likely either way. But doesn't necessarily mean Abraham knows it. Remember, Sarah has called Abraham Lord. She's going to say that in verse 12. And if Abraham is seeking to show humility to a guest, he might indeed refer to his guest as Lord, putting himself in the role of a servant as he shows hospitality. This is, this is ancient humility. Uh, it's something we would do well to learn a great deal from ourselves. So it's not enough for us to say for sure. He asks them, invites them to not pass by, but rather allow him to do these hospitable things. Let him bring water so they can wash their feet. Now, he does not offer to wash their feet for them, but that they can wash their own feet. Open-toed sandals, days, uh, dirt roads, and so forth. It was stinky feet was a thing, and he didn't want to have much to do with them. Also, uh, giving them rest under one of his trees, one of these oaks of Mamre, and then bringing them bread to eat, that they might, by all of this, be refreshed, and then they could go their way. And they accept his invitation. Now, before we see how he was hospitable, a wonderful family conversation today in this chapter would certainly be in regards to your own family and how you can show hospitality. Hospitality is one of the marks of a Christian. I say that not as any kind of a distinct theological term, marks of Christianity. Simply one of the characteristics the New Testament epistles call Christians to have. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, I already mentioned Hebrews 13, verse 2, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, that we are to be hospitable is a common refrain. Serving. Loving our neighbor, caring for others besides ourselves, this is good. Uh, Barna partnered with Lutheran Hour Ministries and did a three-year survey and study of the church. And in their 2019 report, which was called Households of Faith, one of the most eye-opening things that they found in their study is that children who grow up in hospitable homes are significantly more likely to remain in the faith as adults. So here's one of their quotes from page 16 of that study. Faith formation is connected to and increases with hospitality. Households that regularly host non-family guests are more likely to talk about faith, pray, or read the Bible together. So I would encourage you all as a family to talk about hospitality. Maybe you can reflect on some times where you have shown hospitality. Maybe you can brainstorm together some people that you could show hospitality to now. Like who's a family that we could invite over for a meal? Or uh, simply to give them a, a space where they can come in and rest and be away from the strain of the world? Think about such things. Teach your children this gift of hospitality. So what does Abraham do? Well, Abraham, verse 6 he orders his wife, Sarah, to prepare three sias of fine flour. So she's going to make bread. This is normally a wife's task in the household, that she would wake up in the morning and she would knead a loaf of bread. But she would set that dough aside 
that she was just working on, and instead she'd make it tomorrow. So she makes the dough, she lets it sit for 24 hours, she takes the dough from the day before that has been sitting and rising, and she bakes that. That becomes the family's bread for the day. It's a normal wife's task, and here she's ordered to do this, but there isn't that length of time, at least not that we see in the text, for it to rise. So it could be unleavened bread that the Lord and his angels are eating with Abraham here in this text, or it could indicate that they rest a little longer than we might picture the rest being for. More interesting about this number, though, a sia is equal to seven quarts, so three of them is 21 quarts. That makes for five and a quarter gallons, if I'm doing my math right. That's a lot of bread. Way more bread than three men are going to eat. Right? I mean, just imagine um, how, after it rises... Right, that what that's going to look like, and trying to consume that. He's going to do the same when you think about it, really, with the, the animal as well, the, the, this calf. One animal for three men to eat, that's going to go far beyond what is needed in the end. But Abraham, sparing no expense with his hospitality, he takes one of his best from the herd, tender and good, and prepares it. Yeah, well, he has one of his servants prepare it. Curds and milk, not a common drink. You have to drink milk right away. They couldn't keep it cold. Now, this is actually the first time the word milk appears in the Bible, if you were curious. Wine appears in chapter 9 and milk in chapter 18. Abraham prepares all of this, brings it before them, and then he stands by while they eat. Notice in his hospitality, he does not even seek to eat with them. He has so placed them in a position above himself that he, like the servant, he prepares their meal, he serves them, they eat after they have eaten, now Abraham can eat. That's the picture of the, the old household servant idea, and that's what he does, because you don't eat standing. The Exodus you do, <laughs> the night of the Passover, but typically you eat lying down, reclining on your side. And so they, they do that, and we'll see them later rise that they may go their way. Verse 9, this then also does not give away the idea that they are who they are, an angel, two angels with God. It could be that in their conversation, Abraham has mentioned his wife, Sarah. Could be could also be that he hasn't and that this is a the tip of the iceberg in revealing to him who his guests are. Ultimately, verse 10 is where he finds out if he didn't know already because it's the promise that was spoken to him in the previous chapter, verse 21 of chapter 17, that at about this time next year, the Lord would give him a son through his wife, Sarah. Now, I mentioned the Hebrew here is actually a little different in our opening. The Hebrew is according to the time of the living. So it's a little distinct from what was said in chapter 17. This could be an indicator that a few months have gone by since chapter 17. We're not told that specifically. But the time of the living, that would be the time from conception to birth, the time that it takes for a child to 
well, go from, from womb to not womb any longer. It could be a reference to that. So this could be a nine-month expression from Yahweh, or it could simply have been a Hebrew idiom that we have lost over time, and so a reference to roughly a year, which means God could be visiting Abraham shortly after chapter 17's events took place. Abraham's 99, Sarah is 90. They're old. The way of women has ceased to be with Sarah. That's not too hard to figure out. It is the idea that she's no longer having her monthly period. Uh, she is no longer having the, the egg produced, uh, released from her ovaries. Her time for having children has long passed. She describes herself as worn out, like you would have a worn out garment. And what do you do with that? Well, you throw it away. It's of no use anymore. And so she's starting to see herself in that way. And she also declares her Lord is old. It's a reference to her husband. It's a very historically common practice to refer to your husband in such a way, even though Americans find it foreign and uh, disdain it, really. There's, there's something about it that is humble, and we could all use to be humble. Sarah laughs to herself. There are a lot of Christians who try to picture this as a good, delightful laughter. It is not. If it was good laughter, you wouldn't have verses 13 and 14. God rebukes her laughter because it's not good. She's doubting. She's not trusting his promise. And God responds, is anything too hard for Yahweh? Now, we'll come back to that. That's a really important phrase. But first, the last thing that Sarah does note Shall I have this pleasure? So now that she's old, now that she can't have kids, can she have a kid? She sees it as a gift. She sees it as a thing of joy to have a child. Ancient people saw barrenness as a curse from God, and that children having a child was a gift from God. The scriptures talk about it this way numerous times. It's only our culture, really, that sees it the opposite. And I can't just say our culture but it's a fairly modern idea, a fairly 21st century idea to think that children are a curse and that barrenness is a gift. That's the opposite of how most of human history has believed, and it is the opposite of what the scriptures teach as well. Is anything too hard for Yahweh? That is the crux, that is the center of this text, and the answer to that is no. Thanks be to God, because it means he's also our savior, that it was not too hard for him to create us. It was not too hard for him to rescue us from sin, death, and the devil. It's not too hard for him to give an old couple a child. He can do this. He can do all things. Sarah denies it. She denies laughing. She denies her doubt, but nonetheless, it's there. The men go their way. They go towards Sodom. That would be the the whole group for now, the three of them with Abraham, and he's sending them off, as sometimes you do as a host. You walk your guest out to their car, for example. Yahweh says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Almost an internal wrestling with himself that he is planning now to invite Abraham into the divine council, the heavenly council, and he will. Does. And the reason for it is because Abraham is going to be a great nation that through him all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This is a reminder of the promise from chapter 12, verse 3, and it is a fulfillment 
had in Jesus, that it's Jesus who does this. It's Jesus who blesses all the nations. So God is already going to begin to welcome the Holy Family, in a sense, into his council. I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of Yahweh. Teach the faith, Deuteronomy 6, Exodus 12 and 13, Psalm 78. It is the father's job to teach the faith to his household. God gives that here to Abraham to do. Some might struggle with the phrase that Yahweh may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Thinking it maybe works righteousness kind of an idea. The picture here is simpler than that. The picture is if Abraham doesn't teach the faith to his kids, they don't have faith. And they're cut off. They don't receive the promise because they don't have faith. So it's it's not one we have to look into about works. It's simply passing on the faith from one generation to the next, pointing each other to the promises of God and to his faithfulness. All right, now we come to the idea of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is the best known part, I think, of the whole chapter. Sodom and Gomorrah, God declaring that he's going to destroy them. He's here first, though, he's going to go and visit them because their sin is very great. He's going to see the thing that they have done according to the outcry that has come to me. So there are people praying against Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. If not, I will know. This is not that he doesn't know. Take this like Genesis 3, like Genesis 4. God gave Adam the opportunity to repent. God gave Cain the opportunity to repent. God's visit to Sodom and Gomorrah is the opportunity to repent. They have committed great evils. He's going to visit them to speak a call of repentance to them. And if they listen, well, then he will forgive. But if they don't listen, then he will bring about judgment. And that's what we end up seeing. And we know them for the judgment sin, right? He goes to declare them to repent. They don't. They sin against him further. That's tomorrow, 19. That's the sin we know them for. But Ezekiel chapter 16 gives us the sin that they had committed. Ezekiel 16, 49 to 50. I'll shorten it. You can read the context around it. But behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. Pride, excess food, prosperous ease did not aid the poor and the needy. God was going to destroy them for this, but he offered them the chance to repent. When he did, they tried to rape the angels. That's the abomination they did before him for which he removed them. But consider ourselves. We do these things. The land in which we live has pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, and fails to aid the poor and the needy. God wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah for this. Our land is no better. Do not think of ourselves pridefully. Do not think of ourselves as though we are better than others. All right, I got to move on here. The angels go down towards Sodom, but Abraham is going to stand before God and plead with him six times over. He barters on, on the account of righteous people in the city, connecting himself, pleading with God's character, that God is a just God, that God would not treat the righteous and the wicked alike. The trouble with Abraham's plea is that he, he doesn't recognize that all men are wicked. He expects that there will be some righteous ones there. 
And so he pleads that God would not wipe the righteous away with the wicked. It's very similar to Matthew 13, the parable of the weeds, where the farmer says that he will not have the, his servants uh, rip out, root out the weeds because they might root out the, the good seed as well and destroy the crop. Here, kind of same picture. So he'll plead from 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, six times over, humbly throughout, very much so, pleading with the Lord. But I would point out Abraham knows how evil this place is. We're talking about a city. Abraham's own household numbers 318 servants, men able to fight. How many people might have been in the city? It wouldn't have been unheard of her to have been in the the thousands for a population. We don't know for sure, but it's a city, and he starts at 50, and he ends at 10. He's not got a lot of confidence in the city of Sodom. He's seeking, however, to save the people and also his nephew Lot and Lot's family. So such a small remnant of faithful among a city's worth, and as we'll see tomorrow as God goes his way, to bring about the destruction that there aren't even that many in the land of Sodom. Let us praise the Lord incarnate, Christ who suffered in our place, Jesus the Lord.